Every September, I will start the church with a senior pastor series, uh, a privilege given to me by the pastoral team uh, for me to kind of set the direction and set the tone for the church in this new church year. Not that whatever I said will be fulfilled, but at, at least this is what I seek God and what I perceive as where God is taking us as a church together. And hopefully that will set the tone for the church as we begin into this new church here and grow together as a church, building a vibrant church of disciple makers. So this is the theme that I have for this new church here is journeying together in the new season. And today I want to start with confirming our faith because how you live your life is defined by what you believe. And for the subsequent weeks, I will focus on the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 and divide them into four weeks as we expound God's Word together and seek God's face together. So turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verses 1 to 12 will be the first message I want to share with you. The outline is also in the bulletin, and you can follow along. Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. This is such a familiar passage. Let me just read to you as you follow along in your electronic version or in the paper version. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone and rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bound their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Uh, it was Mary Madeline and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But this word seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looked in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and they, he went home marveling at what had happened. You know, this is the passage that will bring us together as we confirm our faith together. And this is where we need to begin to confirm what we believe. And today, specifically on the doctrine of the resurrection because it makes all the difference. I know you know that. I know you know that. And you have heard that many times. Every year in Easter service, you will hear this same passage, maybe other related passages, reiterated again and again and again. But how much have you experienced the power of the resurrection? And today, we want to hear from three witnesses in this passage. Three witnesses sharing with them what happened when they encounter the resurrected Lord Jesus. First of all, that's the women. The women, they were seeking to fulfill their duties in verses 1 to 5. You know, my clicker is not working. Please help me to uh, turn the outline along. If that is not working, uh, in the paper copy, you can also see that as well. 
Uh, it begins with but on the first day of the week at early dawn. But makes all the difference, that proposition in the whole chapter. Because that but is going to revert the tragic death of Jesus that was described in chapter 23, that he was buried and they were preparing to anoint the body of Jesus. But in chapter 24, on the first day of the week, and that turned the tragic death of Jesus Christ into the glory of Easter, that simple preposition, but. You know, Jesus' crucifixion seems to be the ending, but it's an ending that refuses to end. An ending is an ending. Death is an ending. Burial is an ending. But with resurrection, the ending refused to end. That's the power of resurrection. When there is resurrection, all endings become open-ended. And that happens to you, my life, and our lives. We experience that personally. There's a before and after effect of the women. We call it transformation. First of all, before, okay? Before, to anoint Jesus' body in verses 1 to 5. First of all, it says they came prepared. Now, who are these women? In chapter 23, verses 55 and 56, we hear that the women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and ointment on the Sabbath. They rested. They can't work according to the commandment, but... On the first day of the week, they came. They came prepared. Who are these women? In verse 10, their identity will reveal, or at least some of the women, Mary the Madeline. She had seven demons cast out from her by Jesus. And Joanna, Joanna is the wife of Shusa, Herod's household manager. High position. She followed Jesus. And Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. You know, in the book of Luke, he often gave a few names, and then the other disciples, the other women. They told Peter, and they told James and John, and others. Almost like the writer of the Gospel of John is inviting you and me as hearer and reader of God's Word to find yourself in the narrative that not just the first disciples following Jesus experiencing that, but you know what? You are, are participating in there as well. You can see yourself in there because you and I are disciples of Jesus Christ. We see that before and after effect of the women. They came prepared. They came prepared, and they were doing the only thing that they could do, the right thing. They came to mourn the dead by anointing the body of Christ. And the women fulfill their duties as expected in any human society. And they have done the best. But secondly, not only they came prepared, but they were perplexed. You know, whenever you are perplexed, it's because when the expectation doesn't match the reality, that's when you are like surprised or perplexed. They were prepared to anoint the body of Jesus, but they were not prepared for an empty tomb. 
they were perplexed. What happened to Jesus? Where is the body? That's why they were perplexed. See, for the first time in human history, death has lost its grip. Death is immobilized. Death is dead when it confronts the Lord of the resurrection. Death gave way to Jesus, and Jesus conquered death in that way. And of course, when the women encounter the angelic personnel, they were frightened and bound their faces to the ground. And that's before. They were prepared and they were perplexed. But watch the comparison after they have witnessed the empty tomb and heard the angelic messages. In the after effect, they reiterate the angelic message. They remember Jesus' word that, that says he will die and three days later he will rise again. You know, in Luke, he has been repeated a few times. Like in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus has forewarned the disciples or informed them a few times, but they didn't get it. But when the women encounter the angelic being, reminding them of Jesus' words, they begin to reiterate the angelic message to the disciples. They returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And again, those anonymous faces to the rest. Maybe you and I are in there as well, are included in there. They told everything as any good witness should be doing. Tell, this, tell it as it is to the apostles and the rest. See, a new paradigm guides them to a new outlook. The message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes the outlook, changes the paradigm of how these women look at life and death now. Today we begin this message with the resurrection because everything hinges on this doctrine. The fact that you sit here and listen to a sermon, the fact that you are participating in singing, praising unto the Lord is because of this doctrine of resurrection. That you and I know exactly who we are worshiping, that he's not dead. He's not just a figure in history and died and buried. That he rose again and in eternity, that we'll, we will join him uh, in eternity as well when he comes back. And as we preach to you on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you remember in that famous chapter on the resurrection, that over and over again, Paul was reminding us how significant this doctrine is to the Christian life. In verse 13, he reminds us that if there's no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. If there's no resurrection, then our preaching and faith are useless. He said, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. In verse 16, he says, if this is not true, then we will be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not. We are liars. That's what he was saying. And verse 17, he says, we'll be still in sin. 
Because if there's no resurrection, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. We'll be burdened by sins with sleepless nights, tossed and turns, and wondering how do we can how do we find forgiveness for the things that we sh- should not be doing, and yet we did that. And in verse 18, he reminded us that those who have already died are eternally lost. In verse 18 says then, there also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, perished in eternity. And in verse 19, he reminded us that we are the most pathetic of all. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because for unbelievers, they just outrightly reject the doctrine of resurrection. At least they are honest. I don't believe this. But for believers, if there is no resurrection, and yet we preach about resurrection, it will be self-deception. Saying something that we don't even believe and try to make it believable, how pathetic it can be. So he says we are most pity of all if there is no resurrection. And you remember, we preach on that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's why the doctrine of resurrection is so essential. Before we even talk about journey with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, before we even talk about, you know, in this new church here and how we can use a facility and, and, and to serve the community, which we intend to, but make sure it is based on the doctrine of resurrection. We really need to commit to that strong and powerful doctrine as we serve together. Because you can see the before and after effect when resurrection changes and transforms the women who heard about that message. Dr. Andrew Walsh just passed away. He was a missiologist, served as a missionary in West Africa for many years, and then became a scholar and researched into global Christianity. He taught in some top-notch schools, a British, uh, and, and he spent a lot of time in the University of Edinburgh. He was writing about the conversion of the Maori in New Zealand, and many of you remember that the Maoris are the indigenous people of New Zealand. He said, while the Maoris were cannibals in the 19th century, who delighted in ritualized warfare? Those are not pleasant things to talk about the details. And in the early 19th century, missionaries spent 18 years to try to evangelize them, but only two were converted after 18 years. The saying goes that the missionaries has proved that it was possible to live with the Maori without being killed and eaten. That's all they have achieved after 18 years with two converts and this knowledge. At least you can survive. And then what happened was other Westerners moved in. You know, what were they selling? They were selling guns. And Andrew Wall says the Maori saw a substantial benefit in Western civilization, better technology for making war. And in a fairly short time, the Maori discovered that the guns were far too efficient. 
battles that once killed a handful of warriors would now slaughter scores. Their code of honor insisted that they have to avenge killings. It's an honor, honor killing. And great shame will come on anyone who failed to fight for the honor of his clan. And as the violence increased, the Maori realized that they might very well wipe each other out. And they were depressed because they were trapped in the vicious cycle of revenge killings that cannot be stopped. And Andrew Wall says, for the first time, the Maori long for peace. But they had no resources within themselves, within their culture, to achieve it. And the only way to get rid of self-destructive war was to give up the system under which it was conducted. And the only viable way of doing that was to take up a new way of life. The message from the missionaries, the gospel of peace. So for the next 18 years, the Maori were converted in great numbers and to spread the gospel of peace from village to village, from clan to clan, until the majority of the Maori became Christian, reading the Bible, building churches with genuine repentance and transformation. Before and after. That's the power of the resurrection. You know, I hope that you have also experienced the before and after effect of the gospel of peace. I hope that even in the midst of this crisis and difficulties of life as you journey in this new season, either as staff in the new church year and leadership serving together in this new church year or going back to your school in a new semester or taking up a new job and trying to get accustomed to a new culture, new office culture, and try to get to work together with the rest of the colleagues. And you might be entering into a new season of family life because you are newly wed and trying to figure out how to communicate and make things work when two are being knitted together by the union of matrimony. I hope that the doctrine of the resurrection will have that before and after effect in your life, just as it did to the Maoris in New Zealand. I wonder if some of you still get stuck in the before. You never move from before into after. You're still in the before. You get stuck there. You hope you can get out of that, but for whatever reason, emotionally, mentally, a weakness of your will, or just unwilling, just angry, you didn't think it's fair. Why don't you change first? Kind of a thing. You get stuck. And I hope that today, God is speaking to you through that doctrine of the resurrection that there will be a before and after when you really believe in that doctrine and live accordingly. And allow Jesus to inject the after effect of his resurrection into your life, your family life, your marriage, your work life. That's the first witness, the women. The second one are the angels. 
The two angels who seek to arouse the faithful, verses 5 to 7. They arouse two things among the faithful for them to be connected with Jesus. First of all, they arouse their faith. Verses 5 and 6 says, The man said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has reasoned. You know that question whenever people ask you why, they are really challenging you to think more deeply. Are you sure? Why? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? You see, the question implies that they should not be surprised that Jesus' body is not in the tomb. They should not be perplexed that Jesus' body is not there and there's an empty tomb. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And from that passage, it says when the angels reminded them that he is not here and he has risen and remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. Verse 8 says, and they remembered his word. The angels were there to arouse their faith. They remembered. And so should we who are listening to the sermon this morning. You know, to remember takes a lot of effort and makes a lot of difference. And once they remember, the next step in verse 9 was and returning from the tomb, they told all those things to the eleven and to the rest. They begin to reiterate what the angels had spoken. Their faith was aroused. And secondly, the angels awakened their memories. We just said that they remember his words. And because they remember his words and actions follow suit because of that, because of the remembrance. Remember how he told you, the angel said, while he was still in Galilee. And remember how the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. And he rose. You see, in the most strategic moments in the history of the nation Israel, God's chosen leaders, prophets, judges, and others, has often rehearsed the nation's history. When you read the Old Testament, you see how they reiterate the history over and over and rehearse that again. The parting of the Red Sea and the ten plagues that freedom from, from Egypt and the manna from heaven and the water gas out from the rock in the wilderness. It was repeated so many times as strategic moments of the lives of the Israel nation so that they remember, so that their faith can be rekindled. And that's why for our church, every month we remember. Every month we have a communion to remember Jesus' death until He comes. So that includes death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and second coming, until he comes. And every week we try to remember that. And that's why 
The biblical writer in the New Testament has been telling the people that regular gathering of the saints is so essential. Do not neglect the gathering. It will discourage habitual disconnection and encourage each other to stay strong. So keep coming together for worship, for fellowship, for small groups, for ministry, for projects, for missions. That gathering is so essential to remember, to awaken the remembrance. And also the expression of Christian life is so essential for us to remember because only when you remember, you begin to believe and begin to be convicted by that teaching. In the Christian life, the Bible reminds us in the New Testament over and over again, pray for one another, love one another, edify one another, forgive one another, accept each other, submit to one another, exhort each other that each otherness within the church life is a reminder. And when you lift that out for the other parts, for the small groups and for the Sunday school class and others, it is a reminder of church life coming together so that our faith can be rekindled. The angels gave the message to arouse the faithful. And thirdly, the third witness is Peter. Peter seeks to confirm the resurrection as we end the passage here in verses 11 and 12. Two simple points. First, the apostles were bewildered. Verse 11 says, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The word idle tale basically is nonsense. The apostles do not consider the women's words as credible. They must be drunk. They must be having hallucination. It's not true. They can't believe that. But secondly, among them, one of them, Peter, was determined to verify the angelic message. Verse 12 says, And Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Nobody disturbs that. Nobody unwrapped that. It's, it's there in the complete shape. It's like the body of Christ, a new body of Christ is vaporized into the air and the linen just sink into the exact same place. So it was not someone who came and stole the body. It was not other things. He was, he, he was not fainted and began to unwrap himself out of that. He rose again from dead. And he went home marveling at what had happened. You see, for Peter, it is too important to ignore the issue about resurrection. You just have to make sure. You just can't ignore the women's comments and, and consider them as nonsense. This is about resurrection. You better find out for yourself. And Peter did that. He returned to the empty tomb. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. You see, more than one disciples, more than one apostles heard about Jesus' empty tomb from the women. But only Peter went. And when he saw, he believed. The other disciples did not believe about Jesus' 
resurrection initially until they encounter Jesus personally. They were not there. They were not there to witness the empty tomb. They were not there to stoop inside the empty tomb and see that linen. They were not able to verify that as Peter did for his own faith and for his own good. And he was moving forward with his faith and continued to follow Jesus in a powerful way. And this is my message to you this morning, that the message of resurrection ushers in, ushers us into a new season where all endings will be open-ended. Because of resurrection, all endings will be open-ended when you invite the Lord of the resurrection to come in. That will not be the end. That will be the beginning of a new life, of a resurrected life, of a life with Christ. You remember John chapter 11, in the, ra in the raising of uh, Lazarus, Jesus said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, I know the first part is very essential. That's the foundation. That's the doctrine that Jesus is the resurrection and Jesus is life. But do you believe this? And church, as we move forward together, I want to submit to you that the doctrine of the resurrection is foundational, is foundational to the future of our church. You better believe that. That is the, the grounding that we need for whatever we hope to achieve in the midst of this crisis. We are not out of the woods yet. But we don't intend to just stay put we do intend to move together by God's grace, but you better ground yourself in the doctrine of the resurrection. Do you believe this? And to help us to believe that, I want to give you two proposals. One, to revisit the empty tomb. To revisit the empty tomb. I, I know not, not literally, unless you go to Israel on the pilgrimage, but in a sense, over and over again, at least in my ministry, I come back to the empty tomb, meaning I come back to the teaching of the resurrection. When, when my faith is weak, I go back to the empty tomb. When I'm not sure about the future, <laughs> like this new church year, I was sharing with the pastoral staff and the deacons that to be honest with you guys, I really don't know specifically how to lead in this new season. But we have the vision statement that we want to be a vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally. We have that, but how do you achieve that? You know, specifically, the timeline, the measurable goals, I, I don't know exactly. Things are still changing. How do you plan when the macro environment keeps changing? I believe my frustration uh, probably is resonated in many of you. How do you plan when the macro environment is still changing? You plan with the whole intention that it will be changed anytime when, it change, when the whole macro environment changes again. And I have to admit to you that 
in this new church senior pastor series, I wrestle with this message. <laughs> I was like, how do I preach this? Do I preach to those who are saying, hey, Pastor Albert, I'm ready to go? Well, we have about 20% of you there. How do I preach to those who are like, well, I'm not sure. Give me more time. You know, I, I need to be strengthened a little bit more. Can you encourage me more? Should I just come strong and say, hey, people, go. <laughs> you don't want to follow us. We go anyway. Well, try to catch up later. Do I go strong? Or do I just be very empathetic and say, hey, people, I understand. It's a crisis. It's hard. We are like brainwashed. And many of us experience PTSA, post-trauma, stress, you know, anxiety, and maybe spiritually. We are not ready. I fully understand that. So take your time. God is gracious. He's compassionate. We can, we can journey with you together. There's no hurry. I, I, I wrestle with how to preach this sermon and, and what to focus on. I don't know. <laughs> I, I do my best. But you know what? When I don't know, I just go back to the empty tomb and say, Christ is risen. That I know for sure. Christ is risen. If we go fast, it's okay. If we go slow, it's okay. Christ is risen. And maybe for all of us here, you just have to take your own, you have to gauge yourself. Where are you with the Lord? And in the past weeks, we have saints who went home to the Lord, one after the other, and, and the pastoral staff which felt, felt very down in some ways because we are so connected as a church family. We have funerals after funerals after funerals, memorial service after memorial services. What do you do? Go back to the empty tomb. Christ has risen. You know, the doctrine of resurrection is being lived out in an imperfect world. We are already in Christ, but not there yet in terms of our relationship, our maturity, and our grounding. Where, where can you see the resurrected life today as imperfect Christians, trying our best to follow Jesus? Maybe you can look for the resurrected life being in display. First of all, in Jesus, of course. He's the risen Lord. Read the gospel narratives. Read what Jesus has been teaching in the four gospels and try to relate to that and try to see how he lived out his, his, his resurrected life and how we can live that resurrected life by the power of the Spirit as well. But secondly, we can see that in some of the godly life that reflects the power of resurrection. I, I know we are not perfect. I know none of us can claim that we are there. But you know what? I began to look around our church and look at some godly life that really reflect the power of resurrection, especially among the seniors of all people. You, you naturally think of maybe, you know, those who stand on the stage and those with a name or with a position in the church are those, well, many of them are. 
But you know what? I, I look more and more to the saints of the elderly. And I look at how they live their lives, the, the, the confidence, the hope, the willingness to be agile in different situations and circumstances. Living with their aging body that aches most of the time and waiting for the Lord's time to call him or her home, but not there yet, and wondering how long. And some of them just told me, hey, Pastor Albert, I'm ready to go. Pray for me to go quickly. And yet they continue to live as faithfully as they can, as close to God as they can. There's nothing much to do. They have done their parts as parents and grandparents. They have worked. They have saved their retirements. And there's nothing else to prove. It's waiting, but waiting with hope, waiting faithfully so that they can hear the word from the master who says, come in, good and faithful servant, and enjoy my presence forever. You know, I was just inspired by many of them. You see, the power of resurrection lived out in their lives. And, and thirdly, not only you can see it in Jesus and also in some of the godly lives lived out, and for me, many of the seniors, but thirdly, the church of Jesus Christ. And, and we'll be the first ones to admit we are not perfect. <laughs> we have our issues. And in the past few weeks, we were dealing with unity issues. It was, it was challenging. But by God's grace and by the maturity of the brothers and sisters, and we worked things out and, you know, we, you know, went over the crisis. So when the church reopens and when we get in close proximity and, and sharing that resources, we, we have our times of, you know, bumping our heads. We fully admit that. And yet, in the church of Jesus Christ, we see how the life of the resurrection being lived out in forgiveness, in love, in going the extra mile, in willingness to swallow your pride and try to work together. We see that at play, the life of the resurrection. So maybe for some of you, you need to revisit the empty tomb. My meaning, what I mean is to reiterate the doctrine of the resurrection and allow that to dictate how you live your life. Secondly, I want to encourage you to start with the right footing. Start this year with the right footing. Um, if you can summarize most of the senior pastor series in most churches with one word, <laughs> and, you know, me included, I would say the word is more. Most of the senior pastor series preparing the church, preparing the congregation to enter into a new church with this more. <laughs> Give more, serve more, do more. 
pray more, attend worship more, lead more. You know, it just try to get you into more stuff. Now, let, let me be clear, nothing is wrong with that per se. That we, yes, we should. And especially for those who hardly ever move a finger for whatever reason, maybe it's time <laughs> that you at least step up. But in this new church year, as we just emerge slowly, still not out of the woods yet, but slowly from this crisis here, and as we open step by step, little by little, maybe we should have uh, less of ourselves and more of Jesus. That instead of adding more, that we should be reducing some so that we can see more Jesus. That for some of you, maybe more prayers is important than more products. And for others, you need more humility, but less hype. And for others, more faith, but less fear. After the lockdown and the fear of infections for 18 months or more than that, that we, we are conditioned to have this knee-jerk reaction that whenever there's a spike in numbers, whenever there's another variant, the delta and the lambda is already there, and now it's the mu. The, the Greek alphabet, and then mu and nu. <laughs> Just one after the other is becoming like a common cold uh, that we take that cold shot every year. That with all reasonable common sense, the exercise of the common sense, but on the other hand, exercise of faith in God, that we should not be so fearful because of the power of the resurrection. And I hope you will start with the right footing. That as we preach on a new church years in a senior pastor series, it's not about just more stuff, more, but more of Jesus and less of myself. Maybe they will give us a good grounding for us to face a new year. That, to be honest, we don't know exactly how it turns out. And the new building is about to be completed. And English congregations very soon, in a few weeks or a month or so, we will be moving into the new building. The outdoor plaza is being built. That place can house a couple of hundred people in outdoor worship, outdoor concert, serve the community. Of course, we want to utilize that. But before we go even there, Let's start with the right footing. More of Jesus in your life and less of ourselves as we continue the journey strong in this year. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we pray that there will be more of you in me and in our lives and less of other things that might distract us from following Jesus. I want to pray for our church, Lord. I want to thank you for our brothers and sisters who are so responsive to the call the pastoral team uh, who are so willing to follow 
what the Lord has uh, installed for us, who are so supportive of the initiatives that we feel will be from God and to lead us strong together. That even before we go into that, Lord, I just pray that the doctrine of the resurrection will be grounded deeply in all that we do. And that we'll be, ha- we'll be having more of Jesus in our lives and less of ourselves so that we are ready to serve and ready to bless and ready to let the life of the resurrection being manifested in what we do and what we say. Lord, I want to thank you for teaching us to humble ourselves and to walk with Jesus so that we are able to be a blessing to others. We need that grounding. Help us to ground strong in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.